0: Hello there. Welcome to the Tech Means Business Podcast. This is a series of podcasts in which I talk to interesting people who work in that particular space where business and technology come together. Today, we're talking about that very specific area that's really a massive driver of global trade, payment providers and e-payments. Now, these are the people who very quietly but efficiently, in the background, transfer funds between merchants and banks and customers all over the world. Now, banks, it is arguable, have been slow to move into this particular space, and in fact into digital as a whole, arguably at least. And this has kind of led to the rise of what is now known as neobanks or digital first banks. Now, the company I'm talking to a representative from today was not only one of the first people into that payment space, but developmentally speaking, was one of the first into cloud-native technologies. I'm talking about microservices and containers, all things scalable, really. So from your net... Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Himanshu Pajara, who's Managing Director of the Asia-Pacific region. He's going to talk to us about the REN Payments platform. But first, Himanshu, as is uh, commonly in the case, I wonder if you'd give us a bit of introduction to yourself. Um, you're an accountant, I guess, financial guy by trade, because uh, you've come from J.P. Morgan Chase, haven't you, to Euronet Worldwide?
1: That's right. That's right. I was in uh, J.P. Morgan, spent about four and a half years there. Did multiple stints in Mumbai, Singapore, New York, working for them in the private banking team, investment banking team, and then I joined uh, a small brokerage firm in in M- Mumbai. And uh, yeah, I met up with actually prior to joining that firm, I did meet up with the with the EuroNet uh, leadership in Asia Pac, and they were looking for someone to run finance for them across Asia Pac, and it just didn't feel right, and and we couldn't agree on things. And that's when I joined the smart brokerage firm in uh, in India in Mumbai. And um, six months later, again, kind of we connected and we again spoke. And this time, it just felt that the timing was was right and everything just fell into place. So that's how I joined Euronet. Uh, in hindsight, it all worked out really well because when I joined the company, uh, it was I think it was February of two thousand eight, just six months prior to the global financial crisis. So all my buddies at J.P. Morgan and and elsewhere that were in capital markets, investment banks basically had a tough time for the next uh, two years. And, and payments in those days was really kind of doing well. And while in the initial years, it was all about ATMs, but we've really kind of witnessed an amazing kind of growth wave over the last uh, 10 to 12 years uh, in, in this space. So never had a never had a dull moment, show.
0: And tell me a little bit about the REN system of digital payments. If you like that elevator pitch, the, the uh, 1,000 yards up overview.
1: Sure, so what we've done with REN is, uh, we've built a platform uh, with completely modern software design principles, and I won't really go into the the, 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 the the technical stuff, but everything that you would hear around modern software today, right? Whether it's payments or whether it's any other domain that it's cloud native, microservices, uh, distributed processing, et cetera, et cetera. So all of those good things are there, but essentially what we're doing is, we've kind of prepackaged some of these modules and we are able to offer them for multiple use cases that the customers may have, whether the customer wants to launch um, a new debit card or a new, new prepaid card, whether it's a fintech that basically wants to get into card issuing, they want to leverage the customers that they have, and they want to offer a prepaid card to the to their customers, whether it's a fintech that wants to get into merchant acquiring, or whether it's a fintech that basically wants to launch a payment uh, wallet, and they want to connect to the countries domestic real-time payments infrastructure. And, and every country in Asia-Pac, uh, Europe has SEPA, UK has, has fast funds, and, and US is very soon coming up with something similar as well called FedNow, Whereas as a, as a customer, if I have access to, if I have a bank account, I can essentially link my bank account to a mobile app or a wallet that is launched by a fintech or even my own bank, and I can access the, the domestic RTP or the real-time payments infrastructure of the country to make payments on on a real-time basis. So we actually provide this technology that enables issuing for banks, financial institutions, fintechs, acquiring and real-time payments, again, for the same uh, customer segment.
0: And I know that uh, Euronet is getting a great deal of interest from, if you like, traditional financial institutions and banks. Is that because they're seeing you guys as, if you like, a way around some of the problems that are caused by legacy technology stacks that they're in possession of?
1: Absolutely. And and one of the key, I would say, the benefits uh, of, of Ranjo is that uh, for a bank that is operating with a legacy spaghetti infrastructure that they've kind of just accumulated over the years, with REN, we really don't talk about rip and replace. We basically say that we can come in and address a particular pain point that you may have at that point in time. And we call we use the term um, internally called incremental renovation. On an incremental basis, we can basically help you modernize or re- renovate your, your core payments architecture. So you may just want to issue a prepaid card. Fair enough. You really don't need to call your existing service provider. We can just help you issue prepaid cards or we can enable connectivity to the domestic RTP scheme of a particular country. And then if everything goes well, because we have a microservices oriented architecture, it's easy for us to incrementally take pieces off your legacy platform and then just modernize that through our REN suite of solutions.
0: And you mentioned that real time concept a couple of times there, Hamanchia, and I know it's I know it's a, a concept um, that is being quite slow to appear in payments um, from traditional banks, from traditional financial institutions. Um, I know that therefore that's something that's really quite uh, attractive to your customers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's happening, uh, Joe, just to give you some context, it's really the coming together of smartphones, digital commerce. Uh, greater financial and digital inclusion that has really created much of the early momentum that we've seen in this space over the last four to five years. And a lot of countries in Asia-Pac have really taken the lead over here. Countries like India, countries like like Thailand, uh, Singapore, et cetera, have really taken the lead. And what they've done is they've created this core central infrastructure where all the bank customers are, are essentially plugged in. So banks are plugged in, and by virtue of that, all the customers of a bank are plugged in. And that then, facil- that then enables real-time person-to-person payments. It enables real-time person-to-merchant payments. And then there are various other overlay services that these real-time payment infrastructures are developing and launching to improve the customer experience. So I can, just to give you an example, I can actually scan a QR code at a merchant in India or in Thailand and basically just make, for the, make the payment if I don't have cash or if I don't have card, Right. To give you another example, an e-commerce company can actually request for payment for a product or a service that I have actually purchased, and the request will actually pop in as a notification on my smartphone. I authorize that request, and boom, on a real-time basis, my account is debited, and the merchants or the e-commerce company's account is credited. So these are all use cases, innovative use cases that are being uh, launched on the backbone of this real-time payments infrastructure that these countries have uh, have launched over the years. The interesting piece that you talked about was the cross-border element. So, of course, Swift is more of a messaging standard, but a lot of fintech activity that that we have kind of seen in, in EuroNet. We have our own product that that is called as Dandelion. What we do on the Dandelion is we've created this cross-border payment trail by connecting into the real-time payment schemes of various countries. So we're connected to the Indian pay, real-time payment scheme. We're connected into SEPA, into Europe. We're connected to PIX, into Brazil. And through these rails, we're able to provide one single API to a bank, to a super app, or any licensed institution that is licensed to send money overseas to basically send a business payment or a consumer payment. And those payments basically go through these rails that we've, that we've, that we've built over the years, and because these rails are connected to the real-time payment schemes in every country, the money lands into the beneficiary's account on a real-time basis. Yeah. So all the challenges that are, that are typically associated with, with SWIFT and some of the other uh, networks around lack of transparency and the money goes through um, a network of correspondent banks as a result of which the sender or the remitter already does not have full visibility as to when the beneficiary will see the credit in his or her bank account because we're running uh, monies directly through the RTP infrastructures that have been set up now pretty much everywhere. The money goes in boom on a real-time basis into the beneficiary's account. So RTP or real-time payments or instant payments, these are all kind of uh, terminologies that are used interchangeably. Of course, they are massive as far as domestic payments are concerned. And and, Mm -hmm. in in some of the emerging markets that have played a massive role in terms of supporting financial inclusion and, and bringing customers into the into the mainstream digital payments uh, uh, kind of uh, a bandwagon. And then, of course, there are multiple use cases, as we talked about, on the cross-border payments uh, side as well.
0: Now, I wanted to talk about um, those people we could class maybe as underbanked or unbanked. Um, Just to give that some context, um, in the UK and the US in the 80s and 90s, we all kind of went credit card crazy. And there was a move from, if you like, a kind of checking financial uh, system to a credit financial system. Whereas in the APAC and in Asia um, in particular, that whole uh, credit card craze or that credit card period has kind of been hopped over um, and populations in the APAC have moved almost straight on to digital payments. So why is it that digital payments are so key to addressing the unbanked and the underbanked of of the region?
1: Yeah, that's 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 a good question, Joanne. I think one of the main reasons, or other uh, kind of a, a couple of reasons that I can think of, is one is uh, the large unbanked population has been so accustomed, thanks to uh, proliferation of smartphones right uh, across their their countries so that's the first driver the second thing is through the smartphones they're able to access financial services from companies that are launching their own mobile wallets right so if you have a smartphone and if you've created a prepaid mobile wallet now you may not have a bank account right but if you go to a a physical agent and you basically deposit cash in a lot of countries and that's how it started in mpesa in in africa the physical agent will take your cash and basically move electronic money into your wallet, right? And the moment you basically have a wallet, all of these wallet providers, or most of them, their goal is to basically be relevant for for all their customers, right? So their goal is basically to keep adding use cases. These use cases vary from financial services to non-financial services, whether it's selling a mutual fund, insurance, digital gold, um, mobile recharge transactions, bill payments, et cetera. So the goal is to add as many use cases as possible for customer acquisition, customer engagement, customer retention, et cetera, et cetera. So if I'm an unbanked customer of or, or a citizen of any country, I've basically gone through the entire journey of transacting through my smartphone on a mobile, on a mobile wallet, then the next logical step for me would be to open up a bank account. Right? And after I've opened up a bank account, uh, then I'm basically participating in the country's real-time payments infrastructure, where again, the wallets have basically come in and and they've developed these products, they've developed overlay services, where the money then can go directly from the bank account. So purely in a mobile wallet, it ends up being a two-step process where I, as a customer, because I don't have a bank account, I'm moving or parking funds into the wallet through. So it's becoming, it's moving from cash to credit. But then if I've kind of moved to step two, where I've Open up a bank account, then through this wallets, I really don't need to kind of do a two-step process. The money moves directly from my bank account to the beneficiary, and the beneficiary could be another person, or the beneficiary could be a merchant. So that's that's basically the the trend that we've seen in in markets. Uh, the trust the trust comes from the government because all the regulators in the emerging markets are focused on on getting as many people banked as possible. Or if you you name the regulator and the goal is by 2025, we want to hit 60%, 70%, et cetera. So that's one major thrust. The other thrust is smartphones and and primarily the the payment wallets or the mobile wallets that have been launched by companies in every in every market.
0: Now, even though I don't like the phrase, uh, I'm going to raise it anyway, and that's neo banking uh, or quasi banking because it, it strikes me. I mean, you mentioned there that two-step process, and that correlates really with, for instance, you know, a salary going into a bank account, or you could call it a digital wallet, um, I guess, and then payments going out from that account, stroke wallet, um, out to merchants or you know, landlords, uh, banks, mortgage companies. Whoever. So is that a role that Euronet is stepping up to, this need for digital financial transactions?
1: Yeah, the only difference, Joe, is that we are not licensed as a as a banking institution or as a digital bank or a neo banking institution. But you're right in the sense that we are an enabler to existing um, digital banks or neo banks. So we provide really the entire stack that enables them to issue cards, to access. These real-time payments infrastructure. We also provide a lot of the use cases that I spoke about, whether it's bill payments, whether it's 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 launching innovative use cases like digital gold, etc., uh, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So, and then of course we have the remittance rails as well under our money transfer segment. So we actually have the full package, of bank in the box, through which we can enable an existing licensed institution to basically set up their own digital. Uh, bank. They of course have to go out and acquire customers. So customer acquisition is their strategy. We can help them by by bringing in new use cases. But everything that's all the plumbing, the technical plumbing around payments, both domestic and and cross border, is basically powered by EuroNet and, and our technologies.
0: So Hamantshu, you mentioned plumbing there um, a moment ago, and I think that's probably worth uh, dwelling on just for a moment. This is, after all, a, a technology podcast. Um, and speaking of plumbing and the way that the platform was put together, it's very much um, what's now known, of course, is, as a, a cloud-native platform in, in that it was written with microservices uh, and containers, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and, and I think that's where uh, we differentiate compared to our competitors. There's, lot of, there's not a lot of innovation that has happened, actually, as far as payment applications are concerned. Our payment softwares are concerned. It's really the old 25-year-old, 30-year-old technology and seven years back, we developed this platform with all of these new design principles. And the goal in the initial days was to really just power our business because we are and we are a network operator ourselves. We are one of the largest independent ATM operators globally, and we also run merchant networks. So the goal really was that let's build a platform that basically serves our expansion requirements because we were rapidly expanding across multiple markets. And we needed a platform that was agile, scalable, secure, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how we basically started working on REN. And over the last three to four years, we've, we've basically we we've been able to migrate our workloads from our older platform onto REN. And the results have been awesome, right? In terms of security, stability, et cetera, et cetera. And when we kind of took the product and started talking to banks across the region, the the, the endorsement that we received from some of the largest names were, were terrific. So that, that just kind of reinforced our belief that there's something there. We're clearly kind of addressing a pain point in the market because the market is really working on very expensive, uh, hardwares, right? Uh, uh, you have a comp, you have very expensive, uh, databases required and, and really expensive infrastructures and security is not easy to manage. They are not really cloud, uh, cloud native. You, everyone calls them cloud enabled and cloud ready, but none of those applications are, are cloud uh, native in their, in their design. So, uh, and again, when you're talking to a bank, uh, a lot of the use cases that they want to launch, especially when they're competing with, with fintechs, is they just want to throw as many use cases as possible. They really don't know which one is going to work. And at that point in time, you really don't want those expensive infrastructures to power some of those use cases because the ROI may or may not be there. Right. Mm-hmm. Similarly, when you're talking about financial inclusion, when you're talking about real-time payments, the goal is to bring down the cost of a transaction because the moment you're bringing down the cost of a transaction you're then able to kind of attract a large section of the society into uh, into the formal banking system. And all of that is not really possible through the legacy technology that is out there. And that's where I think primarily we started seeing a lot of traction in the market. And we've really had a great uh, run for the last 24 to 36 months in Asia, in Latin America, where we've seen all types of banks, enterprise banks, digital banks, fintechs, that have actually kind of uh, partnered with uh, us on RAND. And uh, we're, uh, we're in the process of launching some of these use cases that I spoke about, not just through the traditional on-prem licensing model, but we also have instances that we've actually delivered uh, these payment applications on the cloud. Right? So we've actually proven that this is possible. There are not many successful case studies um, or, or examples that one can talk about where your core payment stack is actually hosted in the cloud. But we're in the process of doing that in the next, I would say, month or so, we will come up with a, a, with a big announcement of, uh, of a product that we have launched for a bank, for a digital bank in, in a public cloud. So we've actually, we've used it for our own business. We've proven it, proven that it works. And now we're taking it to the market. And now over the next, I would say, two to three months, we have a series of launches that will talk about the platform and the versatility associated with it
0: yeah I think it's very much exciting times um, in the financial sector at the moment with regards technology, and I certainly take your point on technology debt um, financial institutions specifically I think are renowned for their uh, the longevity of their of their technical systems um, shall we say you know running old code and continuing to do so to the present day and of course it's the present day where we have all now developed this right now approach. Um, probably um, uh, powered, if you like, by the kind of you know, uh, tap a screen and a cab arrives, tap a screen and I don't know, you know, food gets delivered and things like that. And there's this, this immediacy we all demand, and so therefore, two to three years lead time for a new project or um, a new offering from a financial institution or a bank just isn't acceptable. Um, and of course, that's something that your own net uh, can help address now. If people want to um, come and find out more uh, and see you guys in person, um, are you going to be appearing at any events uh, that are coming up in the region over the next few months?
1: Yeah, so we're participating in the Singapore FinTech Festival, which is going to be there in the first week of November. We're also participating in the Global FinTech Festival, which is in India uh, in the second week of October we're also going. To, my team is also going to be there in Money 2020, uh, which is in Vegas in in January of this year. So participating in in large industry uh, events and, and trade uh, shows, Joe, is is part of what we do, and we're also expanding our our sales team. So we we have a very strong team actually in in Latin America, which covers Mexico, Brazil, and the Southern Cone, and all of the the markets in Latin. We're basically uh, in the process of putting up a strong team in the US, and then we're very strong already in Asia and, and Europe. So both directly through partnerships and then through, uh, through industry events, our goal is to reach as many customers as, as possible. And we'll be a lot more visible over the next six months out there talking about REN and taking our message to our target customer segments.
0: Well, unfortunately, there's the, the theme music comes up in the background. Um, Hamanshu Pajara of Euronet, uh, thank you ever so much for joining us today. It's been absolutely fascinating.
1: The pleasure is mine, uh, Joe. Thank you for the time and look forward to connecting with you soon again.
0: And thank you too, to all the listeners out there who've given us their time. I do urge you to go and find out about Euronet Global. Um, they're one of those, I think, the more exciting players in the financial space and they seem... I don't know. I mean, they, they just seem as if they've got something about them, something that's really quite exciting, even for an old cynical hack like myself. So with those words ringing in your ears, dear listeners, um, and thanks again to Hamanshu, I hope you join me next time on the Tech Means Business podcast. Bye for now.